Lord God, you have appointed your people, your church, to show what it's like to flourish in the wilderness, to create cities of health and wisdom, to move forward in your power and witness. And we have failed you. And this world has failed in many, many ways. And yet you keep promising, you keep coming, even in hiddenness, even in contradiction, because you love us. So come now with your Holy Spirit to make that love real in each one of us. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated and good morning. My name is Philip Jones. Many, many years ago, I used to work here. It's good to be back. Um, I have really prayed a good deal about what I want to say to you this morning. That's why some of the readings I chose from the book of Revelation, from Matthew's gospel, have to do with what is happening in our liturgical church, to be sure, as we move near the end of this particular liturgical year, generally speaking, the readings focus in on the end things, the end of all things. And as it does that, it's a reminder to us to both look up, look forward, look back, and look within. Now, we're going to do some of that over the next few moments, looking at kind of a composite of the book of Revelation, which I recognize you can't nearly touch that in 20 minutes or so, but, but the point of it is, this is what God put on my heart to share with you as I share with the earlier service this morning, as I will share with my church next Sunday. In a time of crisis, which from time to time seems hot, it seems clear, it seems near, different people at different times, whether it's a personal crisis, whether it's a national crisis, or whether it's a world crisis that we seem to be in at this moment. There's been other times in, in my lifetime where things like that seem so clear and so pronounced. But in a time of crisis, the temptation is to see that somehow or another, our God is in competition with the gods of this world as if they're battling on equal footing. Nothing could be further from the truth. You need to know that as John wrote this letter in this apocalyptic kind of prophetic vision, writing these letters to the seven churches, laying out things that need to be said about Babylon around them, which was symbol for Rome, saying things about Babylon within the church, which we'll look at in a moment, talking about even the Babylonish type experience that each one of us has in our own hearts where there's arrogance, injustice, oppression, immorality, economic exploitation, racism, whatever it may be, it's a time where John is writing about the church, about the world, and about the ever-growing reality of the Babylon experience. Now, one would think that he would begin in this prophetic apocalyptic vision talking about all the woes that are out there. Instead, he begins in the throne room of God, recognizing the transcendence of God and who actually holds this world in his hands. It's Revelation chapter 1. 
in this prophetic interpretation of reality, which is what John does, in this apocalyptic imagery, which is what he uses, he is saying to you and to me in big images that when we are approached by the massiveness of the power of the evil of this world, we need symbols. We need big figures. We need big things to talk to us, to grab our imagination. Think about this. 200 years from now, there might be a sports page that says, well, do you remember when the Giants beat the Cowboys? Imagination, images, it kind of grabs you. They won't know what Cowboys and, and Giants are 200 years from now, most likely, but, but they're using images from the past to say something about the present. Okay, so what John does, he begins with the future. If you're trying to understand reality in the present... He begins with the future. We normally don't do that. Normally, we say something about the past, which is the reason we're here in the future, and extrapolate what the future might be. Not John. John begins with the future. This is what happened. The victory has been won. The fulcrum of all what John has to say, what the Bible has to say to us in the book of Revelation, and really everything in the New Testament, is all about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's already happened. His kingdom has already been inaugurated into this world, into your life, into my life. There is, to be sure, a hereness of the kingdom of God, but a not yetness. It's not yet in its fullness. John knows that. He uses big images to speak to this exiled group of dissidents of what is now modern-day Turkey on these seven different churches uh, to talk about things that are grand and, and, and things that, that, are, that are huge and, and things about, about the future and yet speaking into the present. So the first thing that John does in the midst of this crisis as he's on the island of Patmos speaking to these churches, writing this letter, he's not thinking so much about what we're going to be raptured out of, but how to have a faithful discipleship in what you and I are doing right now. In the midst of all the hot spots we know that are in here in our hearts, in the Western culture, and around the world. I believe that's why God put that on my heart to speak to you about those things this morning. We have Israel and the whole situation over there and praying for Israel, of course, and praying for the protection of all the innocent people in Gaza and wherever. Uh, Claudia and I went to the Ukraine back in June uh, to be with a, a missionary team over there praying for that situation. Then you got all the other hot spots, whether it's China or Asia or wherever it may be, Africa, Sub-Saharan, Sudan, all that kind of thing, all those kind of hot spots. And you can read these things, and, and they become uh, like, like some kind of competing voice Competing power with God is not. Know that. Live that. Receive that. The death and resurrection of Christ has already happened. All the worst that the world can give, death to God Himself on the cross, it's happened. And because of the love of Christ on the cross, He was raised from the dead. He now reigns and ascended into heaven, pouring out His Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, Jesus even tells the disciples, there's going to be a moment, you're not going to understand it, I'm going to be gone, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to be with you until I come back. It's as if the Holy Spirit is some kind of down payment, some kind of pledge of His return. And you know if you know that you have it, and you know that you know if you don't. 
You see, for John and for Scripture in general, there's really just two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness and there's the kingdom of light. There's no kingdom of gray. You're one or the other. It's so important to know that in the midst of what happens now in our world, what happened 2,000 years ago, yet in the light of the death and resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven, now pouring out the Holy Spirit. The initial vision of God is that through you and through me, through humanity, the wilderness would flourish, cities would be built that would be healthy and wise, and most often what's happened is the church as well as the world gets caught up in power, corruption, economic exploitation, all the other things that he is writing this letter to these churches saying, you are a church in Rome. The problem is you have too much of Rome in the church. We have to look at ourselves the same way. You see, as he opens up the throne room, it's a parody. He's recognizing, listen, let me show you the throne room of God in Christ. He's already seated at the right hand of the Father. All this has already happened. And now is a time of suffering witness. You and I are called to suffering witness. Those being confirmed here in a few moments will be called to a suffering, uh, a suffering witness to persevere even to the moment of death itself. Because somehow or another, that's the way God has set it up, that the messianic woes of Christ on the cross are being lived out in and through me until he comes back, and he will come back. But the book of Revelation is not written as some kind of escapist novel or as some kind of timeline for how everything is going to happen, as it is how to be a faithful witness in the midst of the things that you and I are confronted with on a daily basis, both internally and in the world around us. It's subversive. It's written to dissidents and exile. It's written to people to maintain, to encourage, and to strengthen them. And it really, in my mind, the book of Revelation answers every question. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was talking to someone about artificial intelligence. And I know as soon as I say that, people think, oh, my God, that's of the devil and all that kind of stuff. Well, this is like the Internet. It can be good. It can be bad, whatever. But this is what the person said. He's a Christian. He was showing me some things that I can use it for. He said, the artificial intelligence, AI, does not not have an answer to anything. If you ask artificial intelligence anything, even if it doesn't know what it's talking about, like many of us, it will answer anyway. <laughs> I think the book of Revelation is like that. I think it answers everything. I think it puts us right now at a time and a moment in space where you and I are so that we can look up and see, wait a minute, who is running this world? It's like the Wizard of Oz, the little Toto, the dog, pulls back the curtain, and there's a wizard doing all these things. He's not a wizard. He's just a guy. And our guy is God. And in and through Christ, he's running the whole world. You may not like it. Take it up with him. But the point of it is, that's the truth. The book of Revelation is not a sequence of, of future events as much as it is as a sequence and a vision of the ongoing reality of the battle that you and I are in on a daily basis. But in that battle, we are sure who's won. We are sure 
where we're going. There's a kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness. There is no kingdom of gray. We're not in competition. I'm reminded of a story I heard. A pastor was talking about a, a young man that was in his church, and, uh, and the young man was, uh, had a, a business, and he was working for some other people, and, and uh, uh, he was being encouraged to lie about his quotas so that it would look good for the boss and all that. And he was talking to his priest, his pastor, and said, what do I do? And the pastor said, well, you know what to do. You can't lie. Who do you think runs this company? You think the media runs this company? Or you think your boss runs this company? God runs this company. So you got to tell the truth. And so he went back and he told the truth about the right quotas and all that kind of thing. And over the next few weeks, he had more business than he's ever had before. He came back and he tells the pastor priest this. He said, that's great. Now, that's not going to happen every time. But you need to know that by your faithfulness to honesty, your faithfulness to little things, small things in this world, we, we can't, there's so much we can't control, but what we can control is how we respond in honesty and love and faithfulness and trust. No, you see, this isn't so much about a rapture out of this world, the book of Revelation, as it is, as it is a faith-filled discipleship in this world that you and I are called. There's a dual critique in this book of Revelation, a critique of the church and a critique of the world. Never underestimate, David Brooks says, New York Times columnist, never underestimate the power of your environment to gradually transform you to somebody that you don't want to be. Take that to heart. Never underestimate the power of the environment you're in to gradually transform you to someone you don't want to be. So the cause for reflection, a cause for examination, that calls for confession that we just did a moment ago. That calls for community. St. Andrew's Church has always been a light in this community and beyond. St. Andrew's Church, under the leadership of Robert, the leadership of the team over the past 20, 23, 24 years, 25 years, however, 25 years actually, has always been a light to so many other organizations, so many other people here and around the world. It's not perfect. Because we're not perfect. But as a light, it shines in the midst of darkness because there's a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. So then John, as he writes this, almost reveals the parody, P-A-R-O-D-Y, of the evil that tries to act like the church. Think about this. The church has the trinity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does the book Revelation talk about? Two dragons and a beast. Three. The book of Revelation talks about the parody of the whore of Babylon. What does Christ talk about? The bride of Christ. The book of Revelation <coughs> talks about a throne room. Where Christ reigns over the whole world. What does the evil talk about? The thrones and the different political empires and kingdoms over the last 2,000 years. Who wins? Who's won? Where is this world going? Where are you going? Where is this church going? How do we get there? We get there through trust. We get there through perseverance. 
We get there by being ready to die on a daily basis, not just with our life, but even harder in some ways to dying to sin in our hearts. You see, most people fear death. That's why all the ads on TV are all about the things. If you get this body, if you get this car, if you get this soap, perfume, whatever it may be, you'll be alive forever. It's a total lie. You and I are called to see through those kinds of things. You and I are called to see all through these parodies, even, <coughs> excuse me, even in our own culture, even in our own world around us. So the book of Revelation then talks about, in the middle chapters, all these evil, terrible kinds of things, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven seals, all these images. Listen to what one author says. The kaleidoscope of images with which, in which John depicts the evil of this world are concerned with the nature and the meaning of this evil. They explore the character of the beast's power and deceit, the ineffectiveness of mere judgments to bring about repentance, the power of a suffering witness to convince people of the truth, the relationship of the church's witness to that of Jesus Christ. Are we there? Do you want that? Are you ready to kind of stand forth, stand up in humility, in love, in clarity, in truth? We don't suffer under a totalitarian regime at this point that suppresses the gospel. But what we do suffer over in the West is a sense of despair because there's no truth. And that's what you and I are being fed. Of course, that in and of itself is a truth claim, is it not? The truth is there is no truth. That's just as much a truth claim to say that there is a truth. And so we are called in a persevering witness to witness to the things in our hearts, to witness to the things of this world, to be non-collaborative in the evil and injustice and oppression of any government or any political uh, uh, subset, whatever it may be, to witness to the truth of what God has called us to in Christ, but living it out, first of all, in our own hearts and in the church of which we are a part. The local congregation, you at St. Andrews, you are the hope of the world. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter about all the other things that we can't control. We pray, we work, we witness, but what do we do here? You're going to hear in a few moments uh, an invitation to, for the Christmas blessing to, to, to be a light and to this community by offering the Christmas blessing to people that might not have much. The people who need to know the light that you have so they can follow that light as well. So these trumpets and these bows and these seals, there's always Babylon. Of course, in the immediate context of the Roman Empire, which was simply, Babylon was simply a symbol for that. But the Roman Empire eventually kind of turned around and kind of became Christian around 300 A.D., but that wasn't the end of the world. That wasn't Jesus coming back because there's always a Babylon. There's always historically going to be something like that. Or look at the 20th century and all the totalitarian regimes of the 20th century. There are always going to be things like that. You and I are called to be a faithful witness, to call people to account, to call ourselves to account for justice, for love. The concern that some people have as I close my time 
is to say, okay, there was this promise. It's supposed to come soon. Where is it? That didn't seem to bother the early church writers. It didn't seem to bother First Peter, who said, don't be surprised. These things are going to happen. Jesus is going to come back. But in the meantime, this is what we do. We'll be a faithful witness to the people around us, preaching, teaching about Jesus. Strengthening our own resolve, standing on our own two feet that you and I can know exactly who we are in Christ, being filled by the power of the Holy Spirit, praying and seeing signs and wonders and utilizing all the gifts of the Spirit and all the things of this world to show people He's alive. He's a witness. It's oftentimes through signs and wonders when people are brought to Christ they recognize there's another power out there, not in competition with the powers of this world, a power that's already won the victory. But if the prayers aren't answered the way that we want, the signs don't come the way that we want, we persevere anyway because we know where our life is going. The victory of the cross is implemented through the suffering of God's people, of you and me. Romans chapter 8, Paul says, you will have the glory of God as long as you suffer with the Christ himself. The kingdom of, the, of this world has become the kingdom of God and of his Christ, implemented oftentimes through suffering and the messianic woes that Christ experienced on the cross. That is often the means by which his victory is made manifest and won to the world. And the history of the church bears witness to it. So as I close, this is a solemn time. This is an exciting time. This is a real time. I told you a moment ago, the book of Revelation is a prophetic interpretation of reality. More so than ads you see on TV or the novels that we might read or whatever it may be. A prophetic interpretation of reality speaking in the midst of crisis for you and for me so that we can look in our hearts and repent and ask for forgiveness and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to be what you have called me to be with the gifts you've given me. I want to be by some, I don't want to, I want to be, I do not want to be someone else. I don't want to compare myself to other people. I simply want to be what you have called me to be so I can be a witness to the truth. Wendell Berry, in one of his poems, says this, we can have joy even though we consider all the facts. <laughs> Think about that. Is that true for you? If it is, it's because you know where things are going. You know who's won the victory. The words of St. Therese of Avila, of, of Avila were these words, and this is what I close with this morning. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things, and whoever has God lacks nothing. This we pray, this we know, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.